Hi, I'm Barbara Bigelow, and I'm from Boston, obviously, by my accent. And I'm here with my husband, Tim, and Hi. we've been married for 36 fun-filled years. And we have two daughters who are 28 and 30 years old who we adore. And I um, was an early-stage breast cancer patient. I was diagnosed when I was 44, which is on the young side. And I went through all the treatment of an early-stage person, um, a year of chemo, radiation, surgeries, and so forth. And during that time, my sister died of metastatic breast cancer. And we were three sisters diagnosed within two years of each other, but we do not have the genetic link. So it's not a BRCA gene. They don't. They think it might have been environmental because we don't have a family history. So I went through all my treatment at that age with young children, and then I went on and lived my life. Thought I was in the clear, and 13 years later, um, my lower back was giving me trouble, which I have spinal stenosis, so that's not unusual. And so I called up my back doctor and said, you know, it's really, my back's really hurting more. So he said, get an MRI and then come see me. And I went in by myself, which, you know, I, I was completely unprepared for this. And he said, yeah, you need a um, spinal fusion and a laminectomy and all this stuff. And we'll do that. And by the way, there's something over here under your kidney that you should talk to your oncologist about. And I, I didn't see the red flag. I mean, I know I should have, but I didn't. And and so I called up my oncologist at the same hospital, and he did another scan. And I went in to see him, and he said, you have a tumor underneath your kidney um, in your peritoneum. It's pressing on the ureta, and the kidney is atrophied. And we also see some cancer in your liver and some of the lymph nodes at the base of your spine. So I was off to the races. And at that time, he thought I was ER positive, so I began treatment for that. And we had kind of a difficult relationship when I got sick. I mean, he seemed disappointed in me. That's how I felt, like I was ruining, ruining his statistics, maybe. And we had planned, Tim and I had planned a trip to Iceland and was already paid for and whatever. And I said to him, can we go? And he would not say yes. He wouldn't sign off on my going to Iceland. And finally, at the last minute, we said, screw it, we're going to go. So we went, and we had a great trip. And in the middle of it, he emailed me and said, you know, stop taking the medicine. Your white blood count is really low. Come and see me. And I said, well, I can't. I'm in Iceland. So I went in the next week, and he just was not empathic or supportive or whatever the, the word would be. And I had said to him at one point, um, how... The first question you have when you get a metastatic diagnosis is, how long do I have? How, when am I going to die? And he said, well, I hope it'll be long after I'm in a retirement home in Florida. And it pissed me off. I just looked at Tim like, this isn't about him. This is about me. And I don't care when he's in a retirement home. Like, it just infuriated me. So on that note, I called up. Dana Farber and made a call for a second opinion and went in and met with an oncologist and fell immediately in love with her. Loved her. We both did. And um, she said, well, I'm going to continue your treatment for now. Um, see how you do. And do you want me to you know, let your other oncologist know? And I said, you'll break up with my oncologist for me? I don't even have to do that? And she said, yes. And I said, all right. <laughs> so she broke up with him for me. So I continued that treatment for nine months. I tried a couple different treatments, and nothing worked. And the cancer was spreading, and I had now seven tumors in my liver, and I was naming them. 
the Seven Dwarfs. So finally, in December of that year, my oncologist and I decided to do a second biopsy of my liver, and we did, and it came back that I had mutated to triple tri- I had mutated to triple negative breast cancer, which is weird because it's more common in African American women and young women, and I'm old and white. So, and I'm and less than seven percent of people mutate from one to the other. So it was really odd. So on that note, I agreed to do a clinical trial with immunotherapy combined with chemotherapy. And I went into the clinical trial, and I was on it for about three months, and I was really, really sick. I mean, I was bald, emaciated, not eating, not not doing well um, by any means. And I felt myself withdrawing. Like, I felt myself withdrawing from the world around me. I just wasn't coping. Um, and then I landed in the emergency room, and they thought that I had an infected port, so they put me on antibiotics, sent me home, and... I spiked a fever and couldn't stop vomiting and ended up hospitalized again. And they thought that I was in hypo, hyper-inflammatory syndrome has a devastating consequence of the immunotherapy. Well, let's put it this way. It took them a long time to figure this out. I was there. She went into a coma. They thought it was uh, the, the infection was was going rampant and they were kept focusing on that and then it was became apparent that the, whoever the head up uh, in the ICU was at the time realized that because they had her on a high dose of steroids it seemed to be working so they kept that up even though a lot of the other docs said wait a minute we still think that this is including her oncologist that this is this is an infection and it turned out that's when they realized it was hyperinflammatory disease and it was attacking every organ in her body and shutting them down. So I was in a coma and in the ICU and they were like sitting vigil and it wasn't going well and ultimately and I was one of the first people to do this immunotherapy, so they had for metastatic breast cancer and they hadn't had a lot of people show up in the ER presenting like I did. Sure. Now today, if you showed up in the ER and you were on Therapy and you were having this reaction, they would know what to do. So trial and error, they figured out that I needed high-dose steroids to reverse what was happening. So when I woke up from the coma, I was on dialysis, and I couldn't walk or swallow or use my hands. I was completely incapacitated. So I spent a month in the hospital while they were working me up, going to dialysis every other day. And then at some point, after the end of the month, I was well enough to be transferred by ambulance to an acute rehab hospital. And then the work began, because at the acute rehab hospital, they did intensive therapy, hours every day of PT and OT, dialysis, and so forth. And they gradually got me out of bed into a wheelchair and then from an upright position in a wheelchair they got me onto a walker and then they got me to walk with a cane with a gait belt Mm -hmm. 
And I weaned myself off the dialysis, which I was very determined. And so at the end of that month, I was well enough that I could walk with a cane or a walker. I had also reached the point through exercise with a speech pathologist to learn a swallow specialist to swallow. So I was finally off the liquid. I had lost 42 pounds. So I was off the liquid, and I'm not big anyway. And so I was able to go from a liquid diet to a more substantial diet and so forth. So by the end of that hospitalization, I was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and ice cream, and it was great. And I went home, and then once I got home, I had home services. So I had a, a nurse that came and checked on me. I had a PT that came to the house and continued doing exercises with me. Up until the point I was able to go to an OT clinic on my own and continue there. So it was a really long recovery period. And people say, oh, my God, you know, you should never have done that. That was horrible. The weird part of the story is, despite that adverse reaction to the immunotherapy, it worked. And all my tumors melted away. And I do not have any evidence of active disease, and I haven't had any treatment since then. So I've had no treatment in almost four years. Oh, wow. So tell me a little bit about this project beneath the breast. You know, how did you get involved? Are you... You are a member of Metaviver, correct? You're on the board. Oh, you're on the board. Okay. And so just tell me about the project and what it meant for you two to be involved. Well, I, you know, because I told you that I've been well for the past three and a half, almost four years, and so I feel it's my obligation to give back and to do stuff to fund research for metastatic breast cancer because so little money is given to that. So I got involved with Metaviver, and through that collaboration and doing a lot of projects with them, I eventually was elected to the board. So now I'm on the board of Metaviver. ASI, which is this crazy, wonderful, wonderful pharmaceutical company, has partnered with Metaviver for, hmm, they were for like 10 years now. But in the last several years, they come up with this project called This Is NBC. And the first year it was called Serendipity. And then the next year it was called Elements. And I was in the Elements campaign. And all of the campaigns involve water as being representative of the disease, because water is unpredictable. And when I was in the Elements campaign, they took my daughter and I to North Carolina and put, made us naked, wrapped us in sheets, and put us in the ocean in the lake and photographed us in the lake. And the pictures are beautiful. They're really incredible. So that was the Elements campaign that I was involved in. And then after that, I walked in New York Fashion Week for Metaviver and Cancerland. And then this year, the new project came about, which is Beneath the Breast. And what we decided to do was take eight, eight individuals with metastatic breast cancer, men and women, and their partners. And we took them to New Jersey to um, a retreat. And there we photographed them and videotaped them and did workshops with them. And the focus of this Beneath the Breast project was on the relationship between the person with the cancer and their partner. And I personally did um, workshops with all of the patients on the hurdles they face having cancer and the joys that they face. And so we did this wonderful work together where it surfaced a lot of underlying issues and some of these couples had not left home in years, you know, without their kids. So it was like a breakthrough thing. And during that process of doing that workshop, at the end I had each person write a love letter to their partner and then I took them home. 
and in the subsequent months after the project, I mailed them individually at various times. So when they were not expecting it, they would get a love letter from their partner. So that was kind of awesome. Yeah. And Tim was there helping the photographer because he needed assistance with the beautiful photographs that you see here. So Tim helped with the photography while I was doing the workshops. But it was I had a lot of fun doing that. Did you? It was incredible, though, how, how the couples found such connectedness with each other and with us. And, you know, like we ate lunch and dinner and breakfast together as a big group all the time. You get to know people really well in those circumstances. And it just was so meaningful, the, the way that they could reconnect and find some things that they might have lost and work on some things that might be issues in the future going forward. I, I left there with this feeling like I wish we could do this for every metastatic mm. patient because the work is so meaningful. Oh, sure. um, and they all they all felt so validated. Um, the caregivers who were there as well felt validated. For the first time, they empowered. didn't feel alone. Right. Well, let me ask you this, Tim. As as a partner, mm-hmm. did you participate in any of the workshops? I mean, did did it bring up new things for you, new feelings? Uh, no, not really for me. But I know that it did for um, the other the other caregivers, and particularly um, the the one wife who I think came there um, feeling completely alone and and totally out of her element. And she just... And her husband's the one with the metastatic breast cancer, and he's very vivacious. And I think she always kind of felt alone and like, whatever. And over the course of the retreat, she really came out of her shell. And I think it's because for the first time she didn't feel alone as a caretaker. She told me she had never met anybody else in that situation that was the partner of the patient. Because it's unusual that her husband has breast cancer. Not that it doesn't happen. So she um, really, you could see her awakening to this. And she was so happy and so joyful. Um, This is their picture here. And they were so happy. I think it really meant the world to her. Because it did for all of them. I mean... Um, this couple hadn't been away from home without their son, who's 18. Wow. So had never been on a trip without him. And this couple, they have three kids, and they haven't been away since their honeymoon. Wow. So it was super empowering, and they had now the time to take a break and smell the coffee and look at the roses and focus on their relationship. Focus on them. Because when you're living with this life, you've got all these medical appointments, work, kids, commitments. It's nutty. It's a a full-time job having cancer. And it was really interesting coming to this. Last night there was a dinner by ASI um, for the folks who participated. And when we saw them, it was like seeing old family. It was was, family. And and we only met them and knew them for like four or three days. But it was like family. And we had a breakfast this morning, and they did a little patient panel. And they said that they felt like family. And it was just really amazing. I mean, I wish we could do it for everybody. The Elements campaign that I did was wonderful, too, but it was more of a... Not a caretaker kind of thing. It was like myself and my daughter, uh, Teresa and her daughter, Mac and his wife. I mean, it was just a different vibe, completely, in a great way, Mm -hmm. but different. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. What happens to the Beneath the Breast project after this conference? It will live on. It will live on at the NBC um, 
information.com and so all of the projects are archived there and you can go on there and see the patients and hear their stories, see their videos, see the overarching video of all of them um, and that will live on there just like the Elements campaign. Now is that going to be on the MetaViver website as well? There'll be a link to it. There'll be a link to it and uh, you know just like New York Fashion Week there's a big link to that too and that's going to happen again this year in February, February 9th. the theme this year is fearlessness, and it's going to feature early stage and late stage breast cancer patients, so it'll be a little different than last year. Um, so I think that in Cancerland merged with Metaviber this year, and so that brings a whole level of creativity to the, to the table, not that it wasn't before, and I think this is very much an evolving Campaign. This is NBC, and it will evolve, and there'll be another iteration next year when we come back. And, I mean, the, the theme through all of it is water. I mean, that's what ties it all together. But, I mean, this was just a dazzling event.